Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where Team Needham discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, along with uh, myself today, actually. I'm running the show myself today, and I have a wonderful guest on. You do not want to miss this episode. I have Dr. Craig Wack. Uh, Craig Wax on. He is a family physician, uh, residency trained, and he's been practicing for over 20 years. He believes just like I do in promoting health and wellness for the patient and keeping patients healthy. And what that really does is it helps to protect us from disease, including COVID. So he is actually going to talk today about how hypochondriacs with COVID are actually compounding the risk, compounding the problem. So, Dr. Wax, with that being said, introduce yourself and tell us more about this. Well, thank you very much. Um, I appreciate it, Sean, and to the other, the co-host who is uh, absent today. Hope I'm sure she's out doing good things that are positive for. Uh, she for actually cause. just she actually just delivered me my coffee. Oh, great! <laughs> but she, but great. she's got to go support can, the pharmacy We can today. talk about habits and addiction in another podcast. <laughs> And high blood pressure and everything else that comes from that. Um, But at any rate, so um, I've been in practice for more than 23 years. I'm in a private practice where I work directly with individual patients. You know, there's a whole big move toward population health and looking at people as groups. And although there, there is some, you know, reasonable cause for that, everybody is different. And although I'm a member of several groups, um, I'm not defined by any of them. I'm defined by me. Um, So uh, I can make decisions. I'm independent. And that's important. I think uh, having an independent physician is important for independent patients. With regard to health and COVID, you know, one of the things that COVID showed us was just how naked in the woods we are with regard to our, our bad habits and our misunderstandings and our, oh, we'll get to that later sort of thing, you know, almost almost like cleaning the house when, you know, one spouse says to the other, hey, we're, we're going to clean this room today. And the other spouse goes, oh, I got better things to do. Um, at some point, you've got to do self-house cleaning and you've got to take care of yourself. And, you know, we're finding that obesity is at least a minor, um, maybe a more risk factor for COVID and what have you, because COVID's basically a, a common cold with a with a little pinch of HIV in it. So it's kind of scary. Um, it's it's not a nothing. It's it's to be uh, respected. But but the fear factor has been used by politicians and lots of people with power and money and special interests in order to keep other people down. I mean, the lockdowns that have gone on across the world have compounded all of the problems. I mean, for instance you know, that one of the first places to have a problem was New York and New Jersey being proximity to New York. And what did the governors do? All the same things. They, rather than send the sick people to specialized places away from others who might get sick, um, like they did with TB a hundred years ago, instead they forced nursing homes and centers to take them. And that was absolutely the wrong thing to do because they sent the sickest people we have to be with the most sensitive people we have, which violated all of the conventional wisdom um, and CDC and everything, FDA and other, all the other fancy initials that have been wrong for the past 12 months and perhaps <laughs> many years in, in, in bits and pieces. Having said all of that, you know, in New Jersey, um, our, our governor Murphy sent 8,000 people 
to nursing homes, you know, and we're, rega regarding 8,000 deaths. And, and not only did that hurt people in the nursing homes and, and, and kill family members, which is dangerous, awful, and scary, and the wrong thing to do, um, you know, only perhaps political reasons would explain it. Um, it also spread disease across our state. I mean, North and Central Jersey are closest to New York, and, and the disease, I'll use my hands, should have emanated out of New York and spread like a cold or other virus would. Instead, there were these bombs of sick people sent all over the state, and it basically set a bunch of brush fires in a lot of places. And then we had, you know, the state engulfed in fire. And then, of course, there was the the panic and worry, you know, hey, um, maybe I'm next. And um, the government and um, politicians used this to lock down people, which was inappropriate because people need, they need to move, they need to see, they need to breathe, they need to drink lots of water, they needed to be um, less stressed and going about their daily business. I mean, to the degree that they wanted to, um, you know, everybody was forced into mask wearing or shields or, you know, spacesuits or what have you. And that, that took away our humanity and our kids were forced out of schools onto online. And, and that was more dangerous than, than we could have ever thought because kids lost interest. They became depressed. In fact, I think it was back in, in January of 2021 where they had to emergently open schools, not emergency close, but emergently open schools in Las Vegas because of a rash of teen suicides, which is a horrible, horrible thing. I mean, nobody wants to see anybody die, but but kids, preventably, that was a disgusting disgrace that I, I blame on the governors and the politicians that were involved. And that should have never happened that way. Um, in fact, initially a year ago, because we're reaching the one year anniversary of the two weeks to, to stem the spread, we now have 52 weeks to stem the spread. Um, I was originally in favor of two weeks to try to interrupt the virus. Let's see if it performs like the flu, although it's technically a different virus. Let's see if that would work. And I was in my superintendent's office for the sake of my children. I said, let's take a two-week break and let's see if that makes a difference. Well, it didn't make a difference. And four weeks didn't make a difference. And eight weeks didn't make a difference. And 12 weeks only compounded the problem. We saw the virus spread and spread. And then September came and then Schools didn't even open in September, you know, and all the uh, school teachers unions and things were involved and, and it was politics, lawyers, guns and money. It wasn't about, you know, hey, how can we get our kids um, uh, uh, to be well in this? You know, um, and, they, and they sold everybody a bill of goods that, well, teachers are in danger, kids are in danger and the world over in 12 months, we haven't seen that. It has not played out in any country or even here. I mean, if you're going to say one country versus another country, it never played out that way. So this was another way that, that politicians and politics and, and big money, schools, unions, what have you, big power, um, took advantage of the situation only um, for their own power and money. And that's a, and indeed a terrible thing. Uh, and the fact that we were all tied down, there were points where in New Jersey, we were actually tied to our homes. I mean, like it was a nocturnal virus, you know, it was like uh, Michael Jackson's thriller or something. God forbid <laughs> I should ride my bike at 5 a.m. before the curfew, you know, and 
but I did ride my bike. That was my, uh, my little protest to keep myself healthy because if my pipes aren't working and I can't be a good example for my family and my patients, I'm really not being a, a, a true physician, um, an educator or a teacher as the word physician means. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. We, we can get into a little bit more of that after we talk about COVID. But um, as healthcare professionals, we need to be leaders in health and wellness. And, um, you know, how can we tell our patients to be healthy if we're not healthy? So uh, I'm a big believer in that. And I know. Bingo. Yeah. And I know that you're, you know, you're very adamant about that. So we can share some of your stories about how you do that and what you tell your patients a little bit later on. Let's get back to. Uh, the hypochondriacs of COVID compounding the problem. So when you say that, what's compounding the problem? Mask wearing, lockdowns, what's what's compounding the problem? Well, in, in my opinion, um, the biggest thing was the overarching tone of fear because that basically got everybody's um, hormones rolling and everybody was scared. Oh my God, is my, you know, our, our governor um, and the governor of New York uh, not only insinuated, but basically said that kids could be killing their grandparents. That's a yep. horrible message to send. I mean, mentally that is so destructive. And anybody who's in a relationship, like a marital relationship, you can't take those words back. Whenever you say something, the other party will record it forever and it changes your relationship and it, it plays negative. And, and things like that were just, were just horrible. Um, the fear, you know, forcing everybody to wear masks and, you know, masks are borderline effective if at all. And frankly and honestly, I, I think there should have been a lot more state, local, and personal choice involved with mask wearing because the, the the science really isn't there to support it because of the way this virus travels. In fact, I'll give you you know one anecdotal story. Back in December, I went to see my family doctor to get some osteopathic manipulation. He's a DO as well. I've known him for 25 years. Um, he wore a type two surgical mask. I wore a type two surgical mask. He did 15 minutes worth of manipulation. We had a 15-minute discussion. I left the office. And um, uh, five days later, he was out with COVID. And nine days later, I was out with COVID. So having said all of that, if that was indeed the case, and that's where I got it, because that's the only way I could trace it back, although there are other possibilities, certainly, um, it got through two surgical masks, his and mine. You know, unfortunately, he was examining a patient uh, a few days before, and the patient sneezed in his face. And you know, um, it wasn't on purpose. It wasn't a, you know, a shotgun blast. But, but uh, you know, he got very sick. Um, and if you don't mind, um, I'd like to expand on this story a bit Please. because he became um, uh, quite ill, unbeknownst to me. I you know, developed flu-like symptoms. I developed, um, uh, I developed uh, muscle aches. Um, I got uh, slightly shorter breath when I did things. I would call it dyspnea. It kind of hurt when I breathed. I couldn't take deep breaths. Um, I had some fever of 101, 102. I had chills and sweats, pretty bad. Um, and fortunately, I'm one of the grassroots physicians who, not only in the country, but in the world, who is using um, lots of uh, novel over-the-counter products as well as classic 
um, used uh, and inexpensive generic medications to treat COVID in early stages. So I was on five medications. Um, my colleague, you know, to my knowledge, was on three. And when I didn't get better with five, despite the best consultations in the world, um, uh, I was on just to name some names. I was on hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm. I was on um, zinc. I was on azithromycin. I was on ivermectin, uh, which is coming to to its own now across the world. Um, I was on N-acetylcysteine. Uh, I was t I was uh, uh, taking multiple vitamins, including vitamin D, um, and 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 a few other over-the-counter things. And when I didn't improve. Um, my colleague in Texas, Dr. Peter McCullough, gave me the advice. We published on this. And interesting, when I, when I was sick is when the publication hit. So it was kind of uh, ironic. But <laughs> right. having said all of that, he said, he said uh, Dr. Wax, I, uh, I had this problem three months ago, and we've got to add steroids and aspirin. And I did. And over the next few days, um, my, my nightly sweats to where I sweated through my clothes every hour on the hour, I could tell time, Hey, it's two o'clock. Cause I've got to change my clothes. Um, and I was afraid of becoming dehydrated because a lot of us, it isn't the disease that takes you to the hospital. It's the dehydration from the disease, from your behavior and how you're doing it. So, um, I added the steroids and aspirin to that, uh, big formula. And, um, in the next two days I turned around by, by day 10, I could do um, an hour's worth of yoga by the window. Um, sad for the people outside, but I could do it. Um, in, 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 I had clothes on. I had you know some yoga clothes. But um, having said all of that, it felt good to to feel some sunlight. Um, you know, vitamin D wise, if nothing else. And um, I got better. Day ten, I could do an hour's worth of yoga. And day thirteen, I did what I did today. I was out at five a.m. and rode my bike twenty-two miles, um, despite you know temperatures in the forties. And um, it was a uh, uh, interesting that I was able to turn that around. My colleague, on the other hand, um, I'm uh, you know uh, mid fifties and he's late fifties, so there's only four years perhaps separating us. Um, he was on um, Tamiflu, which doesn't really have activity against this. Um, he was on an antibiotic. I'm not quite sure which one. Um, and he was on steroids. And unfortunately, he didn't do well. He was transported to a major city hospital near us. Um, he wound up intubated. That is to say, he required a breathing tube. Um, they put in what's called a central line, which is a blood vessel line here, as opposed to a, an IV peripheral line. And um, his his lung popped literally. And, um, he wound up having a pneumothorax, which was very complicating, life-threatening, had a chest tube to try to re-expand his lung. And he spent two months in ICU and, and my content, and he's, well, he's in rehab now and God willing, he's going to make it and do well. Um, I hope he comes back to practice, but gosh, you know, being in your late fifties, being so compromised, my thought on that is, is I got multidisciplinary, complete, treatment and he had what they call medical nihilism which is very little um because people are being told the wrong message the government the hospitals the vaccine industry is saying stay home don't do anything and that's 
I mean, the stay home isn't bad advice, but the not do anything is is harmful and malpractice in in my view, because there are so many things that that may be somewhat helpful and to not try them in a worldwide pandemic when there's data that's upcoming that says they might help is is, is it, it's tantamount to to malpractice. Well, and especially considering the stuff that you're talking about um, has very little side effects. So you know, why not start it early? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I'm not getting stuck on any one of those because some of them became politically charged when certain political figures advocated for them. But for, for gosh sake, um, discount whatever source. And, you know, Moses Maimonides said, you must accept the truth from wherever it comes. So whatever you think of the speaker, you really have to listen to the speech and judge the speech on its own merits. So just out of curiosity, um, your colleague that didn't do as well, um, is he as active as you are? Well, that's interesting because I'm, um, uh, I, I would say I'm uh, moderately active at the very least. Um, yeah, he was known to go to the gym three times a week. What he did there, I don't know. Um, some guys talk, some work out, you know, right. I try to do both, you know, get it all done. <laughs> Um, but I, but I go, I mean, I exercise six to seven days a week. So I was probably a little bit more into it than that. And I have a vegetable based diet and he's probably, you know, a little more, I guess you'd call it balanced, but you know, balanced for what, um, and he's a, he's a golf player. So apparently he walks a lot if he can't get a cart. So, um, he was modestly active at, at the very least. So, um, in good health, no, no known risk factors. My thought on risk factors is, so why did I get sick? Because that was, you know, the first question, you know, you always ask, why me? Um, my thought was it was because of my blood type, AB positive or some other factor that's yet to be fleshed out. Because we know ABs do worse and men do worse and women do better and O's do better. So that's to me what should be studied right now. I mean, we should have 12 months of data of these blood types, these types of people, people who do this have more risk. And we really don't have that because of all the finger pointing and lockdowning and, and all the things that, that made it worse. It absolutely made it worse. And it, didn't, it did not stop the virus and, and it caused lots of collateral damage to our children, other adults, cardiovascular disease, um, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of cancer screenings were missed during the course right. of this last year. Um, our governor had closed down surgery centers, which was ridiculous. The surgery center was the safest place you could be. The hospital, on the other hand, with the COVID patients, that was more risky. Right. Yeah. So uh, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on the vaccines, I should say, now that there's multiple ones. Tell us your thoughts. Sure. So um, we'll, we'll try to keep it brief. Um, the vaccines are experimental. Um, potentially, um, they can do some good. Um, I think, again, the government and private interests, uh, in order to get an um, emergency use authorization through the FDA, because most vaccines and meds take four to 10 years, and this one took six months. So it was on the mm -hmm. turbo track um, by government and private industry to get out there, but but at what cost? 
We don't have a lot of um, long-term safety data on it because it just wasn't available in that way. And it's a whole new way of doing business, whether you're talking about delivering an mRNA message to your ribosomes in your cells to make a, a protein that's foreign to us, or whether you're delivering a piece of DNA um, in, a, in, a, in an adenovirus, which is you know one of the other vaccines that are available of the three. Um, my thoughts on the vaccines are it's it's basically a huge experiment. Um, the vaccines aren't for everybody. Everybody should consider risks and benefits whenever they consider any intervention, no matter what it is. Um, and my thought w would be if, if it were my plan, in fact, I laid out the plan in uh, physicians, uh, there's a there's a physicians online magazine that's that's very good. It's also it's also in print, um, and I'll and I'll give you some links that you can link to the articles as far as your um, podcast goes. But um, it was a, called a rational plan for COVID nineteen and vaccines. And my thought is is people over seventy had the highest risk those in nursing homes and those with two or more inflammatory conditions like rheumatoid arthritis or um, lupus or, or something else um, where you're taking steroids like lung conditions, um, asthma and COPD, um, those would make you at higher risk. And these are the very people that would benefit most from the vaccine. Who would benefit the least and have the most risk? Kids. Kids shouldn't take this vaccine. And there are already legislators trying to force kids to have it. And Frankly and honestly, it wasn't tested on those people, and it really shouldn't be tested on those people because kids are resilient. Any pediatrician will tell you, call me in the morning if there's a problem, and they seldom call you in the morning. That's just the way <laughs> that goes. So uh, parents can also tell you the same, that with your first kid, you know, every, every pimple and skin change, you're paranoid as hell. And then like second, third, fourth kid, you're like, yeah, whatever, let me know if the bleeding doesn't stop. You know, so not to be cavalier with kids, but just to exercise some humor here, that kids are the safest population. So kids have a much higher risk of lifetime problems from an untested vaccine, in my opinion. Also, pregnant women shouldn't be on it because there's two people at risk then, not just the pregnant woman, but the, the developing child inside is you know so that's another population that that shouldn't be taking it so and and for me there's there's very little benefit to normal healthy middle-aged folks who are doing most of the right things and don't have a lot of the problems now uh, assuming that the blood type thing um, gets fleshed out but but at any rate so everything has a risk and a benefit and with this one the risks all the risks aren't known so to go on what uh, the TV news cable channel tells you um, probably isn't the best idea or your, your governor necessarily, you know, un unless your governor is a physician and, and they're your physician. And, and that's the most important part. Private physicians that are individual are invested in individual private patients. And that's, that's the secret sauce that, that made medicine work for the last hundred years and unfortunately is being undone by government and third parties. Well, boy, you are preaching to the choir, let me tell you. So do you believe that the virus is as much as a problem as the government response to the virus was? So great question. So by no means am I trying to minimize the virus um, uh, and its effects and, and its risks on people, but the government's response it to me um, exponentially 
made it worse. I mean, and it caused lots of collateral damage that we won't even see. So not only didn't it stop the virus, it stopped us from potentially exercising. It drove us indoors. It kept us away from our loved ones, which give us all those good hormones as opposed to those fight or flight catecholamines that we're feeling because we're mad about what we saw on TV or we, we can't have mom over because we're afraid the kids might bring something home. You know, there, there has to be a balance and it's a very personal balance. And whenever the government strikes a personal balance that's impersonal for everybody, it fails miserably. And that's why so many government programs are, are so faulty. Um, you know, they, they spend money and, and tend to make the problem worse. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, I, I definitely agree with that. In fact, I agree so much. I wrote a book on it and my book is called Sickened, how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. And, you know, send me a copy and I'll have you on I will. my radio show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You will definitely get a copy. And, you know, one of the things is, is that we are looking towards the government for solutions to these problems. But in reality, many times they cause them. So if we look to solutions, kind of like healthcare, if you think our healthcare system is not the best, then, you know, 80% of the government pays for our healthcare. So in our country, you know, 70 to 80% are government programs. So how can they fix it? They're the ones that ruined it. Right. Well, you know, I, 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 I have to give Groucho Marx credit. Um, he said probably 70 years ago, he said um, that, that the government's job is to uh, misidentify problems, um, identify the wrong solutions, and then cause worsened problems. I mean, that's a, you know, um, not exact words. He said it better than me, but, but that's exactly what happens, you know, and, and the government pats itself on the back and gets bigger and takes more of your tax dollars. And, you know, I, I think I think individuals need to have a lot more role in things rather than all this groupthink and group health. And, you know, um, I think every individual has to control their own destiny. And that's kind of what America was all about. And unfortunately, our, our federal government and many state governments are heading in the opposite direction of, you know, you, you're not qualified to do that. Well, who is better qualified to direct your life and make your choices than you? I tell patients, you know, if you can sleep well at night, knowing that you made good health choices today, then good, God bless you. But if if you go to if you can't sleep because of all of the problems and things that you have, ask for help, and and I'll be glad to lower the rope. But you got to pull yourself up. I can't pull you up. You got to pull yourself up. I'll show you where the rope is. I'll show you how to use the rope, and um, you know, I'll, I'll show you how I use the rope. But you know, you've got to pull yourself up that rope. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're going to have to have you on again and, and talk more about, um, you know, empowering individuals for their health. Because one of the solutions in my book, the first step solution of fixing our healthcare system is that patients have to be empowered. They have to be educated and empowered to fix their own health and take charge of it. Um, oh, you kind of said 100%. it. You're not Patients have to be empowered and they have to have a direct relationship with their physician because if their physician is owned by a hospital or owned by a program like the VA or, or a slave to a Medicare HMO, there is no way that they can act as your independent 
advisor. There's no way. And being in private practice, taking um, you know direct resources and trade for the patient, that's where the magic of this whole thing is in the doctor-patient relationship, or as as I should call um, the the patient-physician relationship, because the patient always comes first. Absolutely, I appreciate you saying that. So I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit. And I'm going to ask you, you. You know, you already talk about health and wellness. Um, a lot. And I tell you, you, you could host this program because you've basically been preaching what I've been preaching for almost two years. Well, 20 years. Happy to really. back you up when you're right, Sean. <laughs> yeah. But I've been doing a podcast for almost two years. And so anyway, what is the most dangerous thing, statistically speaking, we could do as an American? Um, uh, either smoke or drive a car. I think those are probably the two scariest things that we do every day that nobody thinks about. Right. And you know what? I, I got to tell you, I, or smoke I had, while you're driving the car, then you get, both <laughs> I think that nails it so, all. I thought that driving a car was the most dangerous thing that we could do as Americans also. Mm-hmm. But then I had a physician friend of mine say, actually the most dangerous thing we could do statistically speaking as Americans is to be obese because wow. car, right. Buy that. Okay. Right. So Cardiovascular disease, smoking, driving a car, takes them all out. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Males wow. do worse than females. You know, right. we're, we're cantankerous and they've got better hormones than we do. Right. <laughs> They're safer. Well, thanks for being on today. I do have a final question for you. Um, sure. Actually, two, two more questions. I think you kind of already answered it, but I'd love for you to expand on it just a little bit. What fires you up? What do you have a passion for? I have a I have a passion for helping people reach their potential and develop their own inner best health. And that's important. You know, um, my moniker at the office is caring for you like family. And my website is healthisnumberone.com, spelled in words, health, I-S-N-U-M-B-E-R-O-N-E.com. And on there, you'll find out a lot of my philosophy and what I do, links to my radio show, webcast, podcast, yada, yada, we've done for two decades, Um, you know, like yourself, trying to get good information out there. The most important thing I do every day is take care of myself and help others take care of themselves. And and it starts with me, you know, um, uh, was it Dwayne The Rock Johnson who said, uh, success starts with me? And, you know, I, I probably misquoted both of those folks that I quoted today, but in any event, that's the general idea of it. Um, it, it starts with me and everybody has to remember they're the me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. So you already answered my last question kind of on how to get a hold of you with your website, sure. but is there any other ways if people want to reach out to you, how can they find oh, you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm on, I'm on Twitter and Instagram as well as parlor at the at symbol, Dr. Craig Wax, D-R-C-R-A-I-G-W-A-X. I'm also on Facebook, my office practice, Craig M. Wax, D-O-L-L-C. Um, and my Radio show is called Your Health Matters on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS FM. Um, and that's Saturday mornings at 8.30 Eastern, but there's a podcast as well for that. And that's all at rowanradio.com. And um, I'm happy to interact with folks. If I can um, give you a compliment, it would make my day to give you a compliment on how well you're doing with yours. 
I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'd love to, like to be on your radio show sometime. So, um, sure. yeah. So thank you for being on today. You've really helped with our mission today, which is to educate and empower consumers. I mean, you really, really drove that drove that point home that they are in charge of their own health care and they must be in charge of their own health care. So thanks for being on today, Dr. Craig Wax. My pleasure. Whether there's a pandemic or whether it's just your everyday gravity, it's you've got to take charge of your own health because nobody can and nobody will do it for you. Amen. All right. Well, thank you to the listeners and viewers today for watching and listening. I really, really appreciate you. You've been listening to Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Tune in Monday because we will have our third uh, uh, third episode in our series of plastic surgery, and we will be talking about um, liposuction. So you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, that will be Monday at 1230 to 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in. As always, thank you for listening. Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Thank you.